Welcome to another message from the teaching team at Elevation Church Australia. For more information about our church, service times and locations, visit elevationchurch.com.au. Well, praise God. We'll uh, jump into the message today. I do want to thank all the visitors that came to support our families, seeing these children dedicated. And it would be amiss of me not to give a shameless plug to our kids' ministry for a moment. Um, We do more than babysitting out the back. Um, We believe that our kids' ministry is a vital ministry in our church. It really lays the foundation of God's Word in the hearts of our future leaders, um, not just in church, but, but in government or in business or in education, wherever they may find themselves. And uh, although I did not grow up in church, um, grew up on the northern beaches, we didn't have anything to do with church. Uh, my parents weren't Christians. Uh, but when I did find Christ at, uh, as a teenager, um, I actually found myself serving in kids' church. And it was kind of clever because I didn't know anything about the Bible. I was one—I didn't even know what the Bible was. And uh, we—I I learned all these stories in kids' church uh, that I would teach the kids. But I was actually learning more than the kids. And so, kids' ministry has been uh, very instrumental in, in my life. But also, if I would show you my family, I'm a family man. They come first in my life, and I feel called to raise my children in the ways of the Lord. Um, that was a wedding just a month ago with my daughter. But they are uh, proof, evidence, uh, that they are an example of uh, the importance of kids' ministry. Because all of those, whether they wanted to or not, went through kids' ministry (laughs) and went through youth. And now they're all in church. And uh, Bonnie and I could not raise our children alone. Um, We need the love, uh, the wisdom, the support that comes from a local church. And I don't mind where your church is, but I would ask all of you, find a church. Get planted in a church so your kids can be raised up in the church because it's what gets deposited in their hearts in those early days of their lives is so essential. Uh, Can I go on a rant for just a minute? I I don't understand why we force our kids to go to school, uh, but we don't force our kids sometimes to learn the ways of the Lord. I don't want to touch on people's shoes here. Um, But for me and my house, we will serve the Lord and my kids will go to youth whether they want to or not. And I may have to bribe them and pay them and give them a free meal, but I'll do whatever it takes to get them in kids' church and in youth. And uh, I believe when you raise a child in the ways of the Lord, they will not depart from it. So I love our kids' ministry, love that it's exploding, and I love uh, that God is moving in our kids. And how about all those boys? We've got so many boys in our staff. I've got a bunch of boys, and so I need to be praying for some girls to come in and marry these boys in, in the future. All right. Are we ready? Let's go. 25 minutes, uh, and then I want to share God's Word, and then we're actually going to worship our God and really believe that God's going to minister to each one of you in a very powerful way. Uh, Here we go. Week three, we're in a series called Paradox. Today's message is titled The Turn. And if you're kind of new to church, this is a different style of preaching. What we're doing is we're going verse by verse through the book of Mark. So we started off by giving Bibles out uh, so that you could follow along paper Bibles. Uh, 
Um, and we're going to continue today uh, in week three of this series studying the book of Mark. Mark is one of the four Gospels. It's an eyewitness account uh, of really the life of Jesus. And so I want to show you the lineup uh, for this series. Last week, my goodness, talk about the power. She has the power. Uh, the power is the Holy Ghost flowing through her. Anna was amazing. What a message blew me away. I'm yelling and screaming in the car as I was listening to it. Go girl, cheering her on. A powerful word, week three from Anna. Uh, today is the turn. I, I get the privilege of sharing God's Word. Next week, Pastor Graham, uh, The Trap, and then following uh, week six, Pastor uh, Ben. We've got some great preachers and pastors in our church uh, to bring God's Word. I love seeing them being raised up and using the calling that's on their life to improve packed all of us. So proud of each one of them. Let's jump in. Chapter 8 of the Gospel of Mark is the, is the middle chapter, there's 16 chapters, but it's actually the pivot. It's, it's the turning point, which is why we call the message the turn. You see, the previous eight chapters, um, there was giving account of of the the life of Jesus, uh, kind of sharing who he was, um, and and it was all about uh, Jesus and sort of his his ministry, and it was sharing who he is. All of a sudden, everything changes uh, in chapter eight, and not for the good for the disciples. They weren't happy. You see, up until chapter eight, they were pretty excited. They had chose the winning team. That uh, they had bought the stock at the right price. Uh, they had bought the house in the right suburb that had gone up in, in value. See, they chose to follow this guy called Jesus, who turned out to be the Messiah, and they're pretty excited about it. They're thinking, man, this is great. We're in the inner circle. You know, we know the guy is going to take over the world. Um, we're we're, we're going to get some benefits from this. Um, you know, it's, it's all going great. Um, we followed the right guy. We made the right decision. And so they're all pretty pumped until everything changes in chapter 8. It all goes crazy. Actually, their hopes and their dreams were dashed. Their expectations suddenly were not going to be met. That suddenly they heard some things Jesus say they hadn't planned on. They're like, what? <laughs> now, say again. So we're going to unpack what happened in chapter 8 to really put the fear uh, into these disciples. This is the, the turning point. And we all go through in our own faith when things don't go the way we want. And so the disciples, everything was working out great. All of a sudden, Jesus said some things they didn't want to hear. Now they've got this issue, this problem. Uh, spoiler alert, I'll give you the ending right up front, okay? Uh, Jesus basically said, I'm going to die. And I'm going to suffer. And you will too. And they're like, hang on a minute. We didn't sign up for this whole dying and suffering thing. And so let's pick up the verse in chapter 8, verse 27. As Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked the disciples, who do people say I am? 
So verse 27, uh, 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 Caesarea Philippi was a pagan city. It was very well known in the day to worship the Greek gods and its temples that were devoted to an ancient god of Pan. So it was kind of one of the most uh, pagan uh, idol-worshipping cities in, in the area. So it was a very fitting place for Jesus to ask the disciples who he was to, to, for them to recognize that he actually was the Christ. Verse 28. And they told him, well, John the Baptist and others say Elijah and others say one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say? That I am. And Peter answered him, You are the Christ. The Christ. The Christ comes from the word uh, Christos. It means Messiah, Son of God. Basically, they're saying, You're God. And um, Peter, finally, he gets it. The, the, the light comes on that Jesus just wasn't a rabbi, just wasn't a good teacher, just wasn't, uh, you know, another prophet. He wasn't just a king, he was the king of kings. He is the Lord of Lords, the King to end all kings, the King who will put everything right. And once they realized who Jesus was, now Jesus steps in and explains why he's come and what he's going to do. Here is the point in verse 30. And he strictly charged them not to tell anyone about it. But why? Did Jesus not want the disciples to tell others that he was the Christ, the, the Son of God? Jesus knew they needed more instruction. They needed a little more teaching. They needed a little more time with Christ teaching and showing before they could go fully public. Verse 31. And he began to teach them the Son of Man. Here we go. Is the turning point. This is where you and I hear these words in our lives sometimes. And we often react the way the disciples did. Uh, and he began to teach them the Son of Man must, must what? Must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be, and be what? And be, and be, and be killed. This is some serious uh, information that Jesus is depositing into his disciples. And after three days, he will rise again. Suddenly, Jesus ruins everyone day, everyone's day. I mean, they were doing fine. Life was great. Everything was good. He's the Messiah. He's the King of Kings. And we love all of that. Suddenly, he says, hang on a minute. There's more to the story where I'm going to suffer. And he explains a little bit later, you're all going to suffer too. That this is bad news for the disciples, so they thought. Uh, this is worse than lockdown, worse than COVID, worse than a tax return, worse than the floods, uh, worse than not having internet for a week. So I, I, I laugh about not having internet for a week, but you try not having internet for a week. So we, we live in northern New South Wales um, and everywhere was flooded. We weren't, our house was okay but we were locked in, couldn't get in or out. The only way I could get out was by my jet ski. Um, it was like eight foot surf out through Kingscliff. And I had a meeting, it's a true story. I had a meeting I had to get to uh, up north in, in the Gold Coast. So I took my jet ski out through the, the, the bar, drove 30 minutes up the coast and came in at Tweed and, and docked and got an Uber to, to a meeting, true, true, true story. But, but the issue was uh, we lost three towers 
and uh, that's how the internet roams these days. It's not underground with cables. I'm a boomer, Ellie, so I'm learning all this stuff. And so these, uh, these towers went down. We had no internet for five days. And, uh, you know, I thought, that's great. We'll just bond as a family. We'll play Monopoly. You know, we'll get the cards out. Man, we were fighting. It was ugly. It was just a disaster. We're all on each other's nerves. Bring the screens back. Save us, Jesus. Five days without any internet or phone service, nothing. So never before had anyone in Israel connected suffering with the Messiah. So Israel had been waiting for this Messiah. Finally, he came. No one had connected the dots that there might be suffering, that that there might be some pain associated with the Messiah. It just did not make sense because the Messiah was supposed to defeat evil, overthrow the Roman Empire, defeat any injustice of the day. Um, And it seemed ridiculous, almost impossible that the Messiah would die. And that's what Jesus told his disciples. The Son of Man in this verse means more than a title. It was fulfillment of the prophecy from the book of Daniel that we studied earlier this year when we studied Daniel. In fact, I have the verse on the screen in Daniel 7 verse 13. In my vision at night, I looked and there before me was one like a Son of Man. That's Jesus coming with the clouds of heaven. And he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples in every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So the disciples, being Jewish boys, had read these scriptures. They had studied them. That they knew that this Messiah was coming, that that he would have authority, uh, that that he would rule, that his kingdom, you know, would be everlasting. And so that's what they're expecting. Suddenly Jesus says, hang on, I'm going to suffer and die. They're like, what? Come again? That doesn't make sense. And so let's, uh, let's see how the disciples react. Are we ready? Because often this is how we react. When things don't go the way we want, when we don't get the prayers answered the way we had hoped, when we suffer, when challenges come our way, we can respond like these disciples. Uh, verse 32, um, and, he's, uh, and he said this uh, plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter's like, hang on a minute. Can can we just talk about this first? Uh, This whole dying thing. Look, things are going great. Look, I've been working. I've got this Nike deal coming in. I've got Netflix wanting to do a doco on us. And and it's going to be better than F1 that just came out Friday, by the way. And and listen, things are going great. We're we're getting some sponsors. Um, We're getting known in the land. You know, we're we're, we're rolling. The things are happening. Oprah called. She wants us, you know. We're 60 minutes. They're they're, they're, they're calling me. And and he's like, I think we're going to get Mercedes is going to sponsor 
Lazarus will be driving around in Mercs all through Galilee. And so Peter's just trying to talk to Jesus and say, hang on a minute. Everything was great and still we got to the suffering thing. Let's just cut that out. And, 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 and that dying, let's not talk about that anymore. Let's just focus on the everlasting, the king of kings, ruling and reigning and all that stuff. Um, uh, verse 33. Sometimes we say that to God, don't we? Things don't go the way we want. We come, hang on, God. What, you know, why? Come on. Can you sort things out for me and, and take this suffering and pain away? And here's how Jesus responded to Peter. But turning and seeing his disciples, he what? He rebuked Peter. Not just rebuked him. He said, get behind me, Satan. Oh my gosh, talk about correction. Um, For you are not setting your mind on the things of what? Of God, but on the things of what? I think that's the problem with us. We set our sights on the things of man. We look at our present day problems and issues And don't view the world from an eternal perspective. Heaven and hell, eternity, God. These are bigger issues, the spiritual world. All we look at is our pain and our suffering or our inconvenience today. And Jesus is saying, don't look at the things of man, look at the things of God. And we're going to learn that he must suffer to bring deliverance for you and for me. Uh, this is why Peter rebuked him. Um, no one wants to choose suffering. None of us want to die. None of us want to lose or fail. You see, Peter, like all the other Jews, from his mother's knee had been told the Messiah would rescue them. They'd been waiting thousands of years for these prophecies to come through. Finally, they're here they did not equate suffering and dying as part of the plan of redemption. Verse 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me. So Jesus, not. I'll finish it and then I'll come back. Uh, Let let them deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. So not only did Jesus say, hey, hey, I must suffer and die. Then he says, you all (laughs) must suffer and die too. So suddenly they're thinking, hang on a minute, Uh, we didn't sign up to suffer and die. Uh, It's one thing to think you're going to suffer and die and go to the cross and die, but it's another thing to expect that from us. This was absolutely revolutionary that they would have to deny uh, himself or themselves and take up their cross and follow him. Why the cross? Why the cross? The cross was built by the Romans um, as a means of execution to deliver the most pain possible. You would often die from asphyxiation where you'd have to push up off your feet that had been nailed to get a breath. You'd slump back down. So it's kind of this long, prolonged way of dying. It wasn't quick. It wasn't simple. And, and it was to inflict suffering to inflict pain. Why did Jesus have to suffer? Let me explain it this way. Let's say you lend your car to your mate. You're a young adult, you got this car finally, you lend it to your mate and they crash the car. Uh, You got two choices. You ask them to fix it or you fix it. That's the choices, right? They pay 
or you pay. Um, either your friend pays to fix the car or, 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 or you pay to fix the car. The bigger the crash, the greater the cost. Or let's look at it this way. If someone wrongs you, hurts you, hurts your reputation, they lie about you, they steal, you have two choices. You make that person pay with revenge, get an even, hurt them back, or you forgive them. But it actually hurts to forgive them because you absorb the cost. Your reputation is hurt, you absorb that cost of your reputation being damaged. True forgiveness always entails suffering. That's why it's hard to forgive. Because it costs you. It's painful. The damaged car, sorry, the damage to the car, the debt of the wrong person just doesn't vanish. It's just not gone. Someone's got to pay. Either you pay or they pay. So when we understand this concept that someone has to pay and we understand forgiveness absorbs the debt, when we understand forgiveness entails suffering, it shouldn't surprise us that Jesus says, I must suffer. It's His suffering that pays our debt of sin. It's, it's the, the pain that He goes through on behalf of us that actually pardons us because we actually can't pay that debt of sin ourselves. Hebrews 9, um, 22. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. The penalty of sin is death. So the payment Jesus needed to suffer to pay the debt was also death. Jesus says, I'm king, but not like any king you've ever imagined. I'm a king who must die. Yet he doesn't stop there. He also says, and you all must do the same. Let's, let's unpack what that means. Not a physical death, but there is a dying that Jesus Christ requires of all of us. Verse 35. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? So traditional cultures say you're nobody unless you gain the respectability and the legacy of family and children. Individualistic cultures say you're nobody unless you gain a career that brings you money, reputation and status. Both of those cultures are performance-based or achievement-based. Now these cultures put you at the mercy of others loving and recognising you. But Jesus wants you to die to yourself. So your dependence on others ends and your dependence on God begins. Because everyone and everything will fail you ultimately, but Jesus won't. So this is revolutionary. That Jesus would say you have to die to yourself so that you don't see yourself as your Saviour. You don't see yourself as the answer. That you actually turn to see Christ as your Saviour. To see God as the one who can forgive you. So we shift in our lives from saying, I'm going to save myself, which we actually can't. 
We can't pay the debt of this thing called sin that we're born with. Jesus uses the cross to shift people to say, I can't pay it, but Jesus can. And I follow Him because of it. Now, this is quite difficult to fully comprehend and understand. Most Christians get, it, get the cross that Jesus died and rose again so our sins could be forgiven. Very few Christians understand what that means for, for us, that we actually must go to the cross. What does that mean? We have to hang on a piece of wood. No, no, we must die to ourselves. So here's how it works. I came to Christ when I was 15, but I didn't be, become a pastor till I was 35. And so there was 20 odd years when I was in business and it was all performance based and it was always all achievement based and I loved it. I was good at it, it went well. But then when I became a pastor, I had to realize that my value, my significance didn't come from myself, it came from God. So the first year of pastoring was very successful. It was a large church, big church in the States that I was pastoring. Lots of success. Everything was great. Growing, numbers growing up, giving, salvations, attendance, building. It was, it was all great. Uh, but then I started to see that as something I'd done. And I started to think that that was because of my works, because of my choices, because I was looking for that significance. I was looking for that recognition. So what happened, God sort of took His favour off me <laughs> in year two and, and I got broken. Broken like you wouldn't believe. Broken where I came to a point where God, I, I can't do this anymore. I'm out. Broken where I'm like, I, I, I came to an end of myself. That I don't have what it takes. Broken that God, I, I don't even know if I can continue on. Broken that uh, any form of pride or arrogance or significance or selfishness was just gutted out of me. It wasn't a moral failure. I, you know, I didn't do anything legally wrong, but I was just, just broken, broken, broken. Yet in that brokenness came a freedom. In that brokenness came a recognition that God values me, not what I do. He values me because of who I am. I'm a son of God. I'm a child of God. And that, that changed my life forever, set me free. But it took 20 years for me to recognise why the cross is important. And Jesus had to suffer so our sins could be forgiven. And, and, and often it takes us to a point of suffering and brokenness where we realise we, we can't do it on our own. That the only way forward is to take up our cross, to die to ourselves so we can live for God. Because He is a King, He went to the cross for us. Therefore, we can submit to Him because of His love for each one of us. Jesus gave Himself utterly for you. Think about it. He gave Himself. He, he died. He paid the ultimate price. He suffered for you so you could be forgiven. And this gives us the authority to give ourselves utterly to Him, that we can trust Him, that He's a good God. That in the suffering and the dying to self is actually where we find hope, fulfilment, freedom. Taking up the cross means for you to die to self-determination, die to control of your own life, to die 
to using Him for your agenda, says Tim Keller. The disciples didn't get it, did they? They thought, oh, we'll just roll, roll with Jesus and everything will be great. We'll overthrow the Roman Empire and, and we'll all be ruling and happy and sweet and comfortable and have a good life. But Jesus wants far more than that for them and for you and for me. Jesus wants to be in control of our life. Jesus wants to have our identity in Him, not, not in our works. Jesus wants us to know His love, His care. He's a good God that we can trust Him. Taking up the cross means to live for Christ, to orbit your world around Him because He's the only one who can forgive us anyway. But it's actually where we find freedom. Everybody's looking for freedom. Everybody's trying to find the answer to life. It's actually found when we die to ourselves and we live for Him. Father, we pray today that as we study Your Holy Word, Your Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit would do a work inside of each one of us. That we would continue this journey of dying to ourselves so that we can live for You. I pray that You would challenge all of us. There may be areas in our lives today that we need to lay down. We need to die. Maybe there's worry. Maybe there's anxiety. Maybe we're trying to control everything. Maybe we're full of panic. Father, we could come to a place where we can die to ourselves, find our value not in what we do, but who we are. We're, we're children of the Most High God. We're sons and daughters of the King. And I don't know where you're at with your faith today. Maybe there's some here that you've never decided to follow Christ. Well, today you can. And here's the beautiful good news. It's available to you right here, right now. It's simply a decision that you make. It's not a church thing, a religious thing. This is a decision between you and God. If today you say, I, I want to follow Jesus as my Lord and my Savior, it means you've got to actually die to yourself. You've got to turn away and repent. You've got to ask God to forgive you of your sins. But there's more than just this life at stake. Heaven and hell hangs in the balance. Your eternity will be determined what you do with this Christ, this Messiah, Jesus. And I believe God wants to forgive some people today. He wants to save some people today. With eyes closed and heads bowed, no one looking around, that's you. You want Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior. You want to follow Him. Would you just boldly raise your hand and say, yeah, I, I, I need Jesus. I want to be forgiven. I want to go to heaven. I want to be set free of this thing called sin that I was born with that I can't fix with my own works. But Jesus, forgive me. If that's you, boldly, wherever you are, just raise your hand. Say yes to Him. Let's all pray a prayer of salvation. Let's pray, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need a Saviour. Save me. Forgive me. Be my Lord. I want to follow You all the days of my life. I want to carry my cross. I want to die to myself so I can live for you. I pray in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen.